Welcome back to the Successful Diligence Podcast. I am so grateful that you are back for another episode. Please do take note that all opinions and recommendations and encouragements that are shared on this podcast are my personal opinion or the opinion of the guests that I have on. It is not to be taken as medical or mental health advice. Please do consult your medical professional or your mental health professional with any questions or changes that you would like to make regarding your own personal situation. Welcome back to the Successful Diligence Podcast. I am so grateful you are back for another episode. I never take it for granted. And that's why you hear me say this every single episode, because I really never take it for granted that you listen to the podcast, that you watch if you're in the VIP group. And I really do have the best audience and I'm just so grateful for you, which is why I'm so committed to bringing you value added content, as well as amazing human beings who will motivate you, inspire you, edify you, bring you just value added uh, stories and content and strategies and all the things. And so I'm so excited today to have a guest with me. Her name is Sarah Manuel, and she has never taken no for an answer. And despite living her life in a wheelchair and being given a death sentence as a child, Sarah has never accepted what some people might call her limitations. When she was told to be satisfied with merely existing, she told anyone who would listen, her dreams for the future, which included having a meaningful career, falling in love, having a child. And Sarah successfully turned those dreams into reality. And now she has taken those hard-won life lessons and teaches others how to envision the future of their dreams, discover their purpose, and turn their dreams into reality. And I am so excited for you all to be introduced to her. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Michelle. I'm so happy to be here. I am so excited to learn more about you, to have my audience learn more about you. And for those who are not familiar with you and the work that you do and who you are, just give us a little bit of background about who you are beyond the bio and sort of how you came to where you are in life today. So I um, was born with a disease called spinal muscular atrophy. It's one of the 40 muscular dystrophy diseases. And so what that looks like for me is I am extremely weak. So one pound of weight is heavy for me. I've never been able to walk except in water. When I was younger, I, the water makes you weightless. So I took advantage of that. And um, my disease is progressive. So I am stronger today than I will be in five to 10 years from now. And I am weaker today than I was five or 10 years ago. But it's been a really slow progression for me. So I don't notice it as much because it happened so slowly. So I um, grew up in a small town where um, like it was a thousand people in the town, 35 people in my graduating class. Wow. So in order to do anything, everybody had to participate. So I always found ways like I wanted to be a cheerleader. So I was the mascot for the cheerleading team. I couldn't play volleyball, but um, in junior high, I kept the score. So there were always ways for me to kind of figure out, you know, work around 
um, partly because you know everybody knew me and it wasn't as big a deal as it would be if I were in a huge city. And the other part was because they needed people to do stuff. So I took full advantage of that. And that just mantra, I guess, throughout my life, like just find a way to do it. That's fascinating on a couple different levels for me. Um, the small town thing, because I'm a city girl. And even though I grew up in the suburbs, it was right outside of New York City. So it just felt very urban. <laughs> so 35 people in a graduating class. I mean, that is like, wow. Um, and I wonder, you know, from childhood, were people accepting? Were you the only person that had a physical challenge in your town? Like, what was what was the social dynamics like? Well, my parents had always lived there. My I grew up in the house that my dad grew up in, so the family was well rooted in that town. And when I had two older brothers, so my parents were, you know, active with all the kids stuff before I came along, anyway. And it was just like, well, we'll just, of course we would include Sarah. Why wouldn't we? She's just like everyone else. And I, and I was the only person um, with a disability, um, at least a physical disability in my town. So I was kind of, you know, I was like the wheelchair girl. Like everybody <laughs> knew who I was. And um, it was just, you know, that was me. There was no hiding. <laughs> no, not at all. I love that your parents were just like, well, of course she's, you know, she's Sarah, this is just who she is and we're gonna include her because that's not the story for all people that have physical disabilities or challenges. Um, so I'm really, I'm grateful for you, <laughs> um, you know, that you had that, that um, perspective from your parents and that it was, it was that sort of embracing of you, which probably I'm thinking helped to contribute to your mindset of, well, I can do what I want to in life. I'm going to go out and get all the dreams and, and achieve all the things I want to. Was that part of it? Oh, yeah. There was never like a, you can't do something unless it was like, you know, going up a flight of stairs. Like <laughs> there were obvious things that I could not do. But, as, you know, if I wanted to do something, we found a way for me to do it. Like I was in 4-H, I was in brownies. I did all those things that were very typical um, for where I grew up. I mean, I didn't play Little League, but I was always at the games because my brothers did. So I wasn't like isolated. And then when it came to school, um, I grew up, I was born in 76, I'm 44 years old. So by the time I went to kindergarten, we're talking the early 80s. And inclusion for somebody with any disability wasn't very common at all but because it was such a small town it was just like well where else would I go <laughs> it was just like like duh. I mean of course I'm gonna go there and even the principal was my adaptive PE teacher in kindergarten so like it was just definitely this like village mentality like of course you're gonna have a typical normal upbringing that's that's what you deserve and why wouldn't you kind of Oh, I love that. I love that. And I'm, I was born in 1974. So I'm two years older than you. And I remember that, yeah. you know, being different was not something that was common back then. You know, I'm, I'm biracial. So I was different in that sense. And it was, it, for me, it was difficult because there was no one like me that looked like me. There was no one um, that could help me understand, you know, my life situation. So I had some rough, some rough years there. Um, but it, you know, it, it, it's a lot more common and accommodating in nowadays and current society for people who are different, which I think um, 
is a great thing and it's beautiful, but there's some strength that you gain when you have to struggle and overcome some challenges in life. Would you agree with that? Or do you think that um, it really didn't make a difference? Oh no, absolutely. There's definitely strength and lessons to be learned in the the working really hard or the figuring out how to do it. I'm constantly having to be a creative problem solver because Mm. of the nature of my disability. Like I have to figure out ways to do things even in my job. Like I have to, like logistics, I'm constantly planning and organizing and that kind of thing. It's like, I can't do it this way. I may be able to do it this way. So yeah, and I really got the, the basis of that growing up. I love that. And, and, you know, in your bio, you said that people told you, oh, you know, just, just be satisfied with being alive and, you know, existing. And you were like, heck no, I'm going for the gusto. I'm going to get married, have kids and a whole career. So talk to me about that journey of how you achieved the success in your life that you have achieved and that you've accomplished. Well, I think for me, it was definitely the career is not so much of a surprise to people that knew me because they've always known that I've been smart. I've been a high achiever. I've always, I was really good at school, which was such a blessing because the physical stuff wasn't easy, but school was, school was my jam. <laughs> so I was able to kind of push there. Um, but it's interesting because I found just out and about with people, um, if you have a physical disability, from my perspective, they assume a cognitive disability also. Mm. So in college, I would make a point to go meet all my professors in their office hours the first week of class so that they would know that, you know, I'm capable of learning. I earned my spot in the class. I'm supposed to be here. I'm not like a charity case. So, and that may be, you know, just one experience really blown up in my mind. of that assumption, but it has really stuck with me. So I make a point to kind of prove my worth cognitively. That's interesting. But That's, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 I don't know that I've consciously thought about that where people make an assumption that if you have a physical challenge that you're also um, cognitively challenged, I can see where people would make that jump. But I mean, that's really interesting. I, and I imagine that having, did you ever have any negative feelings about that? Like, oh, here we go again. Or, you know, why would you assume that? No, see, I'll tell you the experience where it all came from. I was um, going into junior high. So it was a new principal that wasn't as aware of me. And she knew I was there, but she didn't know me personally. And because my school was so small, like we kind of split up between seventh and eighth grade, there was like a high science group and a low science group. Mm. And she assumed I would be in the low group. And, you know, I went to class that first day, not knowing the difference. And like, there were, you know, within minutes, they came to get me like, you're in the wrong group. We have to go to the other class. And then it was just like, oh. So she just kind of thought that, I would naturally be in the lower class because of whatever reason, I never talked to her about it afterward, but that has always stuck with me. It's like, okay, so there's this assumption out there. I'm going to make sure that nobody assumes that again. I love that. You have, you have such a, 
a fire in your spirit that I just love. You're like, no, let me help you understand because you're, you're assuming wrong and let, let me help you understand what I'm going to do. You're not going to tell me what I'm going to do. And I just love that because, um, you know, to be successful in any capacity in life, you have to have that go-getter sort of attitude and that, that tenacity that says, okay, you might think that, or you might say that that's your opinion and I'll respect that, but I'm going to do me and I'll show you. (laughs) And I just, I love that. I love that. So, um, talk to us about where you are, like, what, what do you do and, you know, career-wise and work-wise and how do you help people and, and give us a little bit more detail about that? Yeah. So I am a school psychologist. I, it's a full-time job. I have like 160 to 200 kids on my caseload on any given year from age three to 22. So it's a full range. And the nature of the job is you're in multiple schools. Um, You're doing, I test to see if kids qualify for special education um, is the the biggest uh, responsibility I have. So I'm literally this year, well, this year I'm working from home because of COVID and I'm high risk because of my physical disability. But um, I am assigned to five or six different schools this year. So that's where the logistics piece comes in. I have to figure out how I'm going to get between schools during the day and how, you know, you have to get here from this meeting and that meeting. And so that's, that's the nature of my job. And being... Being a school psychologist is no easy feat, y'all. I was a school social worker and that wasn't easy. And school psychologists, I mean, kudos to you. And then having to coordinate all of that, I mean, that is a feat unto itself. (laughs) But it's worth it. I, I really enjoy my job. Yeah, well, we need people who love to do that kind of job because not everybody loves it. And it's a gift to the children who really benefit from it. So um, grateful that you're, you were able to, to get in there and do it and do it well. How did you meet your husband? We met in the 20s love chat room in 1999. <laughs> I love it. I met my husband online too in some cheesy, I don't even think it exists anymore. And uh, so online dating is the way to go. And us Gen Xers, we led the way millennials who were listening. <laughs> Absolutely. And it was funny because when we met, like people were, this was not common. So my parents were thinking he's an axe murderer. And like he had this like whole, this whole stereotype of why would you find somebody in a chat room to, to meet up with? So that was, that was fun. <laughs> yeah. My family didn't understand either. And, you know, 15 years later, we're still married and they're like, okay, I guess we get it now. <laughs> yeah. We'll be 20 years this summer. So oh, congratulations. Oh, long marriages are hashtag goals. So congratulations for that. I love it. I love it. So what are some lessons that you have learned on your journey to finding your purpose in life and finding success uh, in all that you do? Well, the biggest transformation for me happened in my 20s after my undergrad years. I was working 40 plus hours a week as a customer service representative for a health insurance company. So my arms were typing 40 plus hours a week. And I don't know why I didn't think about this before. It's like, my body couldn't keep up with that. So I was, you know, off work on disability because I, I literally cannot move my arms at that point because they were so exhausted and overworked. 
it's like, okay, great. Now what am I going to do? I hated that job in the first place, but it was a job. And I was always just looking for, you know, finding a purpose. And it was just like this mystical thing. And all the experts say, oh, just do what makes you happy. And it's like, well, I can't. That's just, I Eating ice cream makes me happy. I can't make a living eating ice cream. <laughs> exactly. But then with that pressure, it made it harder. And then I felt like guilt and shame because I should know myself because I'm in my 20s. I've known myself for 20 years, but now I should know why I was put on this earth. So that was just terrible advice. I hate that advice. Um, but this whole time up until that point, I was really in denial with my disability. Like I would call and make reservations and I would be asked afterward, well, is it wheelchair accessible? I'm like, I don't know. Like, why would I know that? Come on. So I would have to call back. <laughs> and it sounds so absurd because how do you not, how are you in denial of something so obviously in front of you? But I was really good at it. Yeah. And part of it, I think, so because I grew up in a small town, I wasn't around other people with physical disabilities. So I could pretend I was just like everybody else because I didn't want to be different. I just wanted to fit in and be like everyone else. Yeah. Um, so much so that when I would come into contact with other people with disabilities, I would feel really uncomfortable because it was like looking in the mirror. And I couldn't deny that about myself when I'm looking at somebody with you know, a physical or, or an intellectual disability, you know, it just like right up in your face, like you're not, you can't run away from it now. But I, during my 20s, I kind of realized I was made different for a reason. Differences aren't bad, they're just different. And I wasn't a mistake. And when I kind of embraced that about myself, that's when my whole world of purpose opened up. And that's when I decided that I needed to go down the path of being a school psychologist. So I did this complete 180 degree transformation from denying who I was and not being comfortable around other people with disabilities to working with kids and help identifying their disabilities and advocating for them and their families. That so, is so profound because... I think that, and it's a lesson, not just for someone who has a, a physical or mental challenge, but when we finally stop denying who we are and we accept with love and embrace the differences and, and the, the truth about who we actually are, it allows us to embrace that concept that you brought up of, I was made this way for a reason and I'm here for a purpose. And once you accept that truth and you embrace it, it opens the door to actually live out your life purpose. I love that. That is so profound. I think has I, you know, in my work as a school psychologist, I think I've definitely positively impacted, you know, not only the school environment, but the, the lives of those kids and their families. And it's really interesting because when I work with these kids or even talk to them, and I tell them, you know, you, you can over, you can do whatever the hard thing is that they have to do, whether it's, you know, if, if they have learning disabilities, whether, you know, it's like writing the paper, passing the class or whatever. I kind of have that instant credibility with the kids because they know I'm not asking them to overcome anything greater than what I have already overcome. Yeah, you've walked the walk. Yeah, 
And I think like there was this immediate respect. It was like, okay, we shouldn't blow her off completely because she might know what she's talking about. She might have a thing or two. And and I think that 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 you're right. The credibility of walking that journey and learning the lessons, it gives you that instant validity with someone else that you can then gift. And they can't, it's almost like you're the mirror. They can't deny that. Well, if she did it, I certainly can do it too. You know, I don't have an excuse. <laughs> right. And even though the differences and the challenges look different, you know, they can see that there was definitely some challenges there to overcome. Yeah. And you're right. You know, just because the challenge itself looks different, there's still a journey that everyone travels to overcome whatever their personal challenge is. Like for me, you know, coming to terms with my biracial identity was a mountain and a hurdle and a challenge of being different. I had to overcome different than yours of overcoming that physical challenge. But some of those lessons and those mental hurdles and that process is the same. And so it's definitely the gift that, you, that keeps on giving. Because <laughs> yeah. once you learn something, you can't unknow it, right? And then you can gift it to someone else. So I absolutely love that. Absolutely love that. And so exactly. I happen to know that you also do things beyond your school psychologist role. Talk to me about your um, passion project, side hustle, entrepreneurial uh, endeavors. Well, I think our purposes kind of change with the season. And I'm really feeling, well, for years, I kind of wanted to talk to people about finding their purpose and about differences being okay, that we don't have to be you know, shy about them or, or run away from them, that we can embrace them. Um, and it just got to, I think for people, there's like two paths. They either have this epiphany, like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be. Or there's like this slow burn to where it like builds and builds until you can't not do it. Mm. And for me, this has definitely been a slow burn. And it was the, when the pandemic started, it's like, well, I have all this time now. Like, I feel like I should do something to be productive and not watch whatever series on binge, you know, day after day. So um, it just like that fire just got bright, you know, harder and harder and now, I, I don't know how I would turn it off, but um, so I'm helping other women kind of discover their purpose um, first through um, what I call Destination Tomorrow. It's a class that teaches how to kind of cast your vision for the future and um, using three different techniques so that you can take off the self-imposed limits and see what's really possible. Because I think you have to be able to see it before you can achieve it. Like you have to know what direction to go on in the map of your life. Yeah. And that's what um, it helps to do. I love that. Yeah, you definitely need a map to know where you're going. If you don't know where you're going, then you're never gonna get to where you wanna get to because you don't know where you're headed. Like if I wanna go to California and I just sit in the car in my driveway, I'm not gonna get anywhere. <laughs> I have to know that I got to get to California, that I got to know the highways and you map it out and all the things. So that's, you definitely vision, I think is so important. And there are so many, like you said, who, who took the pandemic and are like, 
you know, binging Netflix worked for like a month and now what, <laughs> right? I got to find something to do with my life. I must be here for more than just Netflix binging. There has to be something. And right. so I love that your slow burn has turned into a full-fledged fire that is just unquenchable and will not be put out and will yes. just help others to also tap into their vision and their purpose, despite whatever differences they might have. I just, I love that. I absolutely love yeah. that. It was watching Oprah one day when I was on disability uh, 20 plus years ago. And that's the first time I heard about a vision board. Mm. And I still have that vision board and it's so relevant. Even though things have changed their meaning for me, it's still relevant to me. Like I put a lot of words and phrases online way back then, like enriching lives and find your purpose, that kind of thing. And I mean, it has, it's definitely, still relevant to me and it speaks loud volumes for me so yeah I'm a big believer that if you if you write something out or if you speak something into the atmosphere you're making room for it in this dimension of the earth and so it's really important to do that if you have a, a vision a dream to even whisper it out or just write it in a journal and you know I've done that and come back years later I'm like wow I had no idea it was going to actually come true <laughs> So I encourage you listeners, if you've got a dream, a passion, even if it's a little whisper, write it out, you know, make a vision board, tap into destination tomorrow and, and let Sarah help you, you know, develop and curate your vision because it's really important to understand that you are here for a reason and a purpose. You're not an accident. You were made the way you were made for a reason. And there's a gift inside of you that needs to come out, not for you, but for those who will benefit from that in the earth. And you want to make sure that you don't miss that because people are waiting for you. So, oh, Sarah, I just love it. What are like one or two things that you really want the audience to walk away from our conversation with? I think what is most important for me is that your circumstances don't have to dictate your reality. Like you can be, you know, living in a situation that you're not really thrilled about right now, but just because you're there now doesn't mean you have to be there tomorrow or two years from now or 10 years from now. You can take whatever um, value you can get out of the situation. Cause I think there's value in everything, even our mistakes, there's value in it. There's room for growth and to learn about ourselves in those situations and to kind of use it as a jumping board to help develop the life that you want to design it to shape it so because I I really think that we have the ability to to really change our lives to have it look more what we want it to look like and to have more joy from it Absolutely. Echo, I agree. <laughs> Mic drop on that one. <laughs> Is there anything else that you would want to encourage or leave with our audience, like maybe how to find you and where they can connect with you? Yeah, so um, I am on Instagram at sarahmanuel35 and Facebook at manualsarah35. And now a clubhouse at sarahmanuel35, I believe. Yay for Clubhouse. I was the one who invited her, y'all. And I'm telling you, I still have invites. So if you are not on Clubhouse and you have an iPhone, Android is coming soon. 
just uh, email me at successfuldiligence.com slash contact and I will send you a clubhouse invite and you can listen to Sarah and you can listen to me and be motivated and inspired. <laughs> and I will put the links for Sarah's uh, website and her uh, Instagram and Facebook in the show notes so that you can click and go and connect with Sarah and find out all about Destination Tomorrow and all the other things that she is doing so that you too can find purpose in your difference and get your life and your vision implemented so that you can find the joy that Sarah has. I am so, so glad, Sarah, that you were able to come on the show. Any last thoughts? Yeah, I think it bears repeating that differences aren't bad. They're just different. We don't need to run away from them or hide them to fit in with what society wants us to be. We can embrace them and embrace who we are as people. Absolutely. Oh, I'm so glad I know you, Sarah. I'm so glad I got to introduce you to my audience. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, thank you so much, Michelle. It was great fun. And I'm so blessed to have you uh, introduce me. This was great. Yay. And listeners, as I always say, keep walking, always, always keep walking, never stop walking. Because if you continue to walk, you will reach your destiny. You will reach your destination. As long as you have that map, like Sarah said to get, <laughs> you got to create the map so you know where you're going, but keep walking. Once you have that keep walking because you will reach your purpose and you will reach your destination. And on the journey, as always, I encourage you to always, always choose gratitude. As you know, every single episode, I end with my encouragement for you to choose gratitude on your journey as you keep walking. But have you ever asked yourself, that's great, Michelle, but how do I do that? How do I implement gratitude? How do I choose gratitude? It's not easy living this life. And sometimes I don't feel very grateful. How do I incorporate gratitude into my daily life? Well, I've got you covered. Just for you, I have a Gateway to Gratitude mini course in the Successful Diligence School. There is a link in the show notes as well as a coupon code just for podcast listeners where you get 50% off. So head to the link in the show notes or SuccessfulDiligence.com and click the school tab on the website. It will take you to the school and you can see the Gateway to Gratitude course, which walks you through how to implement gratitude into your daily life. Trust me, gratitude and gratefulness when implemented effectively will change your life. Oh, you know, my, you know, my, you know, my.